As Sean mentioned to you, we are, uh, we're on a journey. We're on a journey this Lenten season. A journey that my prayer is that we will all be changed in some way. That we would be transformed by Jesus Christ. This is a Lenten season and we've used wilderness journey as a way to describe what we're in because it is somewhat of a wilderness, somewhat chaotic in our world, in our country, in our lives. And so there are many times when we feel like we're all alone out there in the middle of the wilderness. And we need to take this time to grow in our spiritual formation and to draw closer in our relationship with God. It is a journey of change. That was the very first sermon that you heard as Sean and I share this series together. Because we should never end a journey the same way we started. We should be different. Hopefully we should be better. We should be changed. And last week, we took the path of knowledge out there in the middle of that desert, trying to understand that the evil is alive and well. And just as the devil tempted Jesus Christ out there in the wilderness during those 40 days, he continues to tempt us, much in the same way. And yet we also learned last week on that path of knowledge That even though he's trying to take us off the path, even though he's trying to push us over the cliff, we have Jesus Christ as our example. That the devil may tempt us in our brokenness and our selfishness, but we have learned that we do not have to succumb. We may not be be able to do it by ourselves, but certainly by the power and the strength that is Christ, we don't have to yield to those temptations. And today, today we talk about another path. Today's a path of challenge. And to be honest with you, I'm not even really sure we need a sermon after the children's sermon. Don't race toward the doors yet. Because they got it. They got it pinpoint. They got it the nail, hammer on top of the nail right there. It's what this is all about because I challenge you today on this path that you might find the treasure that surpasses all other treasures. The treasures within ourselves. The treasure that God wants to use and reveal in our lives. The treasure. A few years ago, a brother and sister were cleaning out the attic, their parents' home, and they found a vase. It was a very beautiful vase. Matter of fact, it was so beautiful that they thought perhaps they should take it and have it appraised. And lo and behold, they took it to one of the, uh, those brokerage auction firms, and they found out that this was a Chinese vase, and it was worth $2 million. Now, before you get up and run toward your attics and see if you can find a vase like that, they decided that they would put it up for auction. And they put it from auction there at Bainbridge Auction House in England. And there was a lot of bidding on that. It was an 18th century Qin Dynasty vase. And at the end of the auction, there was a Chinese buyer for this vase. And that buyer purchased the vase for $69 million. It was said that the brother and sister had to go outside and catch their breath after that auction, as probably would we. 
when they find themselves $69 million richer because of a small antique treasure they found in the attic of their parents. It's like the couple who was out in Wyoming. They decided they wanted to get rid of a bunch of stuff one day, so they took it to the city dump. And as you well know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So they dumped what they had there at the city dump, and the wife spotted a beautiful antique headboard for a bed. And she told her husband, that looks nice. Why don't we take that home and refinish it? And the husband said, yes, dear. And they took the headboard, and they put it in the back of the pickup truck. And no sooner had they put it in the back of the pickup truck than one of the spindles on one of the legs on the headboard came off and out rolled gold coins. They took off the other spindle on the other side and another slew of gold coins, 18th century solid gold, 99% coinage. Needless to say, they had discovered a small fortune in the headboard. Now, we all like those kind of things. We all like to talk about finding treasure. Maybe you want to go home right now and see if there's something you have that's not a treasure. But before you do, I'd like to leave you with one other story before I get to the Scripture. Last spring, I was up on Netflix, and I watched a wonderful, wonderful story. This was a documentary. It was entitled, Treasures from the Wreck of the Unbelievable. And it was absolutely fascinating. The film was about a long-lost treasure discovered by a team of archaeologists and scientists off the coast of East Africa. It was a treasure trove of silver and gold and statues that had been assembled somewhere between the 1st and the 2nd century by a former slave who had turned collector by the name of Sif Amatan II. The film itself was absolutely fascinating because it showed the scientists and the archaeologists and the divers and everything they went through uncovering these artifacts under centuries of silt and sand. It had been at the bottom of the ocean for some 1,900 years, and the painstaking process it was to get them out of the water, lift them aboard ship, keep them cleansed with salt water, and be able to take them back to the museum. It was a movie that I watched twice So good was it that I told Laurie, you got to come see this. She sat next to me. I watched it for a third time. Fascinating. Unfortunately, it was a scam. It was called a mockumentary. Not a documentary, a mockumentary. Damien Hurst, an artist, had funded the operation for his comeback art exhibit in Venice. It was a 90-minute mockumentary, which had taken over 10 years to produce at the reported rate of $65 million. Needless to say, I felt a little foolish watching that film three times, talking about this treasure hunt. And the truth be known, perhaps I should have known that something fishy was going up when one of the last statues they took off the bottom of the Indian Ocean was a coral-encrusted statue of Mickey Mouse. How did I know Mickey Mouse wasn't there 2,000 years ago? 
So I was taken in by that, taken in like lots of us are, in our search for treasure or talking about the proverbial treasure hunt because somewhere deep inside we'd all like to be wealthy or we'd like to have a lot of money and not have to work for it, just find it laying around someplace. The film itself was absolutely fascinating because everybody likes a good treasure hunt. Those are the kind of stories that give us hope that that too can happen to us. But today I want you to be challenged, challenged to participate in the greatest treasure hunt of all, the hunt for the treasure that surpasses all other treasures. And people often don't recognize this treasure because it's hidden in an innocuous, somewhat fragile clay jar. I wonder if you would join me in your Bibles or on the screen as we read Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, his second letter, and we start there in the fourth chapter with the seventh verse, and this is what Paul writes to his Greek brothers and sisters. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, Paul is describing this treasure the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of God. You know, Jesus once called it the pearl of great price. The thing that if the merchant found it, he would sell everything he had so that he could purchase that pearl. This is to say that the treasure that Paul speaks about is more valuable than all the gold bullion in Fort Knox, more valuable than the jewels in the crown there, the crown jewels of England in the Tower of London, more valuable than any other physical treasure on all the earth, and it can be the possession of the most humble believer. The light of God shines in the midst of this treasure in our hearts. And what's this business about these clay jars, these jars of clay? Have you ever owned anything made of clay? I'm sure you have. Had a flower pot, put flowers in there. How easy they are to break, how easy they are to crack, how easy they are to leak. They're very fragile. They're not like, you know, steel or iron or marble or brass or even wood. They are not particularly strong. In many respects, they are very vulnerable and very fragile. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So let's take a look just very quickly. What is Paul challenging us? What is he challenging the church at Corinth? 
What do we need to be about this day on this path of challenge? First, I think you should note that the treasure of which Paul speaks is not somewhere out there. It's not beyond ourselves. It's not out there externally to any of us. You know, many of us become obsessed with finding meaning and purpose for ourselves somewhere out there, somewhere beyond. A better job, a nicer neighborhood to live in, perhaps a trimmer body to have, perhaps travel abroad, or the ability to buy designer clothes that fit you just right, or perhaps you want to drive a prestigious exotic automobile. Maybe you want to buy a condo on the beach so you can dip your toes in the ocean. So many of us try to find that out there externally to who we are, and Paul is saying that you already have treasures in these jars of clay. He is saying that meaning and purpose in life, that's which defines us, that which makes us what we are, doesn't reside out there. It resides in here. That happiness and contentment that we so often and so desperately seek is not out there, but instead is in here. And either we have them in our hearts or we don't. Either or. But if I challenge you with anything, it's to find that type of treasure that is buried deep inside of you. There was a motion picture a number of years ago entitled Cool Runnings. Um, it was about the Jamaican bobsled team. Remember them? Anybody remember that? This is a true story, not, not the movie. That was a comedy. But the Jamaican bobsled team was, was true. And I believe they were at the Winter Olympics in Calgary. But this story was taken off of that. And uh, it, was, it was about this same Jamaican bobsled team, but in this case, their coach was none other than John Candy. Now, John Candy had been in the Olympics, and he had won two gold medals, but he cheated. So those two gold medals got taken away from him, so he went to Jamaica as some barroom bouncer or whatever it was. But anyway, they found out he had something to do with the Olympics, so they decided they were going to make him his coach, their coach. And they get to the Olympics, and all of a sudden, all of his past comes bubbling up, and they find out this is the same John Candy that cheated that we said could never be in the Olympics again, and the Jamaican bobsled team almost got disqualified. And one of the little bobsledders said, you know, why does this coach who won a gold medal think he has to cheat to win? And John Candy says something very important that we should all consider. He said, I really needed to win. That was my happiness. I wanted to win. But I learned something very, very special. If you're not happy without a gold medal, you'll never be happy with a gold medal. If you're not happy without a gold medal, folks, you're never really going to be happy or contented with a gold medal. And you can replace gold medal with anything you want to put. Condo at the beach, designer clothes, bigger house, better paying job. It's a wonderful, accurate statement because happiness and contentment is an inside job. If you don't have meaning and purpose inside you, it doesn't matter what you got outside. Wealth, that's fine for a little while. 
all of us would like to be millionaires for 60 minutes at least. We'd buy a whole bunch of stuff probably. But it's never going to give you the feeling of happiness, contentment, and satisfaction. In fact, if all of us won a million dollars for 60 minutes, we'd have more friends than we ever knew we had because they'd out be out be for something. It's not what you own, folks. It's what owns you that matters. It's not what you own. It's what owns you. Now, I've told you, I struggle with that, this business of having stuff. You know, you can never have too much stuff, but does the stuff really bring you happiness and contentment, or do you just need more stuff? It's not how much stuff we have in our materialistic society. It's actually how much stuff we give away to those that don't have much. That really defines who we are. That's the measure of the people. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, wonderful Genevan philosopher, he stated this way. I want you to listen to this carefully. Every time we yearn for something we cannot afford, we grow poor, whatever our resources. And every time we feel satisfied with what we have, even though it may be little, we are counted as rich. We are counted as rich. Happiness and contentment, folk, is an inside job. That's where it starts. If you don't have it there, don't even bother looking for it anyplace else. And that's the first part of the treasure that Paul says we have in our hearts. The second part of it is that if we have that treasure inside, we can handle whatever comes in our lives because our focus is in the right place. We know that happiness and contentment are not out there. But sometimes life finds us. Things happen to us that we never planned for, that we never expected. What happens when misfortune and unhappiness come to us? Life can be cruel. You know that as well as I do. But if we have the treasure inside, just like Paul, we can overcome that adversity. Sometimes we're told that success is making the right decisions at the right time in the right places. But what about those things that happen to us that are not of our choosing? We never made that decision. We never asked for that. We never chose that. How many of you are familiar with David Jeremiah? David Jeremiah? I enjoy listening to his program, Turning Point. He is a senior pastor out in San Diego at Shadow Mountain Community Church, and I've had the opportunity to go and listen to him. And it really was a very special time. I enjoy that. And he's written a number of books, but one book that he wrote that I think is very special for all of us is a book entitled A Bend in the Road. And the book tells about during his growing ministry how he was diagnosed with cancer. In 1994, he was diagnosed. It went into remission. It came back in 1998. He was diagnosed with lymphoma. And in 1999, he had a nodule surgically removed from his neck. And in the book, David Jeremiah talks about the physical and the emotional toll. He speaks candidly about the battle of pain and nausea and deep depression. Now, at the present time, that cancer is in remission. But all the doctors have told him the same exact thing. There are no guarantees. The cancer could come back. It may not. But there are no guarantees. And the book's title is the observation that sooner and later, each and every one of us are going to face a bend in the road. 
something we didn't expect, something that wasn't foreseen, something we didn't ask for, something we didn't want, but a bend in the road nonetheless. Sometimes we have life all lined up, going in the right direction, we think, and then one day everything changes, and suddenly we have come to that proverbial bend in the road, and now life is moving in a different and in many cases unwanted direction. What David Jeremiah was trying to say and what Paul is trying to say is that without sufficient resources in our life, without this treasure in our heart, we have no real way to deal with these types of difficult, difficult times. Paul knew about these times, don't you know? Look at the apostle. He was imprisoned more than once. He was whipped, we know, at least five separate times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. And he was set adrift at sea one night. Any of you got anything that's on those same lines? Some of us may feel adrift. Some of us may feel like we've been beaten. He could have been bitter. He could have been beaten down, but just like he wrote that congregation in Corinth, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I'm sure Paul had his doubts. I'm sure Paul had his worries. I'm sure Paul suffered from a degree of depression, but he never considered giving up. He experienced the whole range of human emotions that comes with suffering, but he was never defeated because he had the treasure of Jesus Christ in his heart that would see him through absolutely everything, including his death. He had the treasure, and that's what he's writing to the church at Corinth. So we know that our happiness and contentment doesn't come from outside, it comes from inside. We know that this treasure, this light of Jesus Christ that should shine from the inside out is there to see us through the ups and downs, the anxieties and the sufferings of life. And the last thing we need to know as we look inside that this is not about us. Don't ever walk around and say, well, I got the treasure inside. I put it there. No. You can look inside and that finger better go right up this way. Because we're really talking about the one who gave you that treasure. We need to understand that the treasure is not so much about looking in as it is looking up. We say that happiness comes from within. That personal contentment comes from within. But that path always leads to the one that made this all possible. And that is your Father in heaven. That inner peace is not simply about getting in touch with your feelings. It's it's about getting in touch with your heavenly Father. The answer is not meditation or reflection. It's about seeking the master of the universe, the creator of all things, your heavenly Father. Happiness is not a matter of like the Beach Boys, good vibrations. It comes by knowing that there's an emptiness in you that can only be filled completely by God. How many times have we talked about a God-shaped void? It can only be filled by God. 
And how important is it for each of us to know today, to stay on this path of challenge, that the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who gave us a way back into relationship with him, is always with us. He is always with us. When you feel like you're alone, ask yourself the second question. Who moved? Who moved? Because your Father is always with you. Let me leave you with a final story. A true story. William Frey is a retired Episcopal bishop from Colorado. And he talks about his younger days and being a priest and how he volunteered to read to a student named John who was completely blind. And one day, William asked this young boy what happened for him to lose his sight. And John told him it was a chemical explosion. I was only 13 years old, and I lost my eyes. William asked him, well, how did that make you feel? And he said, life was over. I felt totally and completely helpless, and I hated God. I hated God for what he had done to me, for the condition that he had left me in. And for the first six months, I did absolutely nothing. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I had all my rooms up in my bedroom because I was alone in the world. No one was with me, and no one really cared. And finally, one day, my, my father came in, and he entered my room, and he said, John Winter's coming, and the storm windows need to be up. That's your job today. I want you to get outside, and I want you to hang up those windows, and by the time I get home from work, I expect them to all be up. Then he left the room and slammed the door. The young man continued on. He says, I was so angry. You think I was angry before? Now I was really livid. Who does he think I am? I'm blind. How am I supposed to put up storm windows? But I decided I'd show him. I'll show him. I'm going to put up those storm windows. And I went down to the garage, and yeah, I found those storm windows all stacked together. I went on the workbench, and I found all the tools I needed. And finally, feeling around, I finally found the ladder and dragged it outside so I could start putting those storm windows up. I said all along, I was angry. I said, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to fall. Not only am I going to be blind, but I'm going to be paralyzed. And he stopped and he smiled and he said, but I put up all those windows. And William said, well, that's quite a story. The young man said, well, that's not the least of it. I found out later that my father never went to work, that he was there with me all day long, about six or seven feet away, there to catch me if I fell, there to pick me up, there to help me. He never left my side. Your heavenly father never leaves your side. I don't care how deep or how dark the situation or the circumstance is. He never, never leaves your side. He is always there. 
And that's from whence the treasure truly comes. Happiness and contentment comes from in here, folks. And if you have it and keep it and grow it, it'll put you through the biggest challenges and anxieties and painful moments of your life. You'll be able to cope with the most adverse condition. And through it all, stop looking at yourself in the mirror unless you see the reflection of Jesus Christ because the treasure comes from him. We're clay jars, folks, all of us. For all of our achievements in this world, for all of our control over the rest of creation, for all of our boasting, we are still very fragile human beings. We are involved in so many events that we have absolutely no control over. We live in bodies that are subject to about any disease that passes through town. And sometimes we're just simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. We are clay jars. But we are clay jars filled with eternal life. We are clay jars filled with Jesus Christ. The life of Christ dwells in each and every one of us, and that is the treasure. And we pray that in our brokenness, in all the cracks of our lives, that others may see His light, that others may see His treasure shine through each of us. You jars of clay. You broken jars of clay. Would you bow your heads with me, please?